Good evening to all of you. This is awesome to be in Texas. You know, this is uh, the first opportunity that I've had to spend any time on the ground in Texas other than inside an airport. And I feel very blessed to uh, have had the experience of safe travels here with my wife, Juanita, and uh, have spent uh, uh, quite a bit of time just uh, enjoying the landscape and uh, considering what is happening here. It's amazing to me, you know, when I started this journey in Adventist agriculture, it was in part because I knew there must be something better than what I was doing, which was basically peddling poison and working for large monoculture agricultural interests that didn't really seem to uh, have the interests of the consumers in mind. They weren't concerned about nutrition. They weren't concerned about food quality. It was all about the money. And I was really weary of that. <clears throat> Even though I felt for many years that I was actually doing service to the public because I didn't know that there was any other way that we could feed the six billion people that inhabited the planet at that time. I couldn't conceive of an army of youth or uh, a, 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 an army of people that had interest enough in agriculture to consider it as a vocation and to function differently than the paradigm of large-scale monoculture agriculture. This is the way that I had grown up, the Earl Butts era of agricultural policy where we simply wanted to plant as much as we could, produce it as cheaply as possible, and our concept of efficiency was that it took less than one person to feed over 100 people in society, meaning that farmers made up less than 1% of the population, and that's still the case today. As the industry likes to tout, we considered that evidence of terrific efficiency. As I look at it now, it breaks my heart because what it means is we have concentrated all the choices, all the decisions, and have delegated all of the power over the food supply for most of us to a very tiny handful of people. And believe me, it's only a handful of people within that 1% that is involved in growing food that make choices about what you and I eat. And those choices are not predicated on the benefit to you and I. The choices are predicated on what provides the greatest profit. This model of monoculture agriculture has spread across the globe now and is displacing small family farmers all over the world. And I see this as a tremendous tragedy. And as I address you here tonight, I want to offer some praise, I want to offer some testimony and then I want to present to you a challenge. Because frankly, you and I, as Seventh-day Adventists, have had the opportunity to live a legacy of an agrarian lifestyle for over 100 years. You know all of the references. You know all of the counsel. And if you don't, I want to suggest to you that you take time to avail yourself of, of some of the books that have recently been published. Councils on Agriculture, others that have been published, expressing in great detail the calling that we have had 
as a people for well over 100 years. That legacy founded in the biblical principles of Adam being placed in a garden and told to dress and keep it or to serve it and preserve it, depending on your translation, is as true for us today as it was for him then. The Lord placed Adam in that garden so that he would have an opportunity to learn of him in an intimate, practical way that simply speaking face-to-face could not convey. Adam was tested in the garden. And when he failed that test, he was offered redemption in the garden. If we look at the opportunity that we have to work with the soil for our daily bread, if we look at the sweat of our face as a mechanism to keep us healthy, to reignite within us a desire to know and love the Lord through practical methods of observing His creation and involving our lives with Him in cooperation, we have opportunity for a deeper understanding than a theoretical or an esoteric understanding. Ellen White understood this. Ellen White recognized that, as we have all heard, that agriculture is the A, B, and C of education. She advocated for all of our educational institutions. And what's the first educational institution? It's the home. She advocated that all of our educational institutions make agriculture the A, B, and C of their studies recognizing that there is a richness in that experience. There was a richness for Adam in the Garden of Eden. There was a richness that the Lord was offering to us also in coming to a deeper understanding of him. As I look out here this evening, it warms my heart tremendously to see the numbers of people here. And I want to take just a few moments to praise the Lord for what he is doing through and with this organization and with those of you that have committed yourselves to seeing that agriculture reassert itself in its role in Seventh-day Adventist education, be it in our homes, be it in our academies, be it in our, our colleges, be it in our missionary institutions, be it in our sanitariums, regardless. It's absolutely wonderful to see this taking place. And I want to remember, I want to pause for a moment and remember a man that was helpful to me in coming to understand the role of agriculture, not only in education, but in my life personally. I'm a man that has spent the last 50 years of my life growing crops. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a man that was... was fortunate through God's grace to be exposed to a wide variety of agricultural education and deep understanding about what it takes to grow crops and produce food and to be abundant and to have success. But what I didn't learn through that aspect of my career was how important agriculture is to my spiritual life. 
to my opportunity for being the best that I can be for God's service and by his grace. And there's a man that was very instrumental in helping me to recognize that. When I first went into ministry, I hadn't read the book Education. I hadn't read all of the testimonies. I didn't realize at that time the role that agriculture played in Seventh-day Adventist education. I just knew how to farm. And I wanted to use those skills in farming to further God's work. I wasn't called to evangelism. I wasn't called to preaching. I was simply a farmer. That's what I wanted to contribute. And when I first went to to, to the college where I served as the ag director for a period of time, a swarthy man came walking out to the greenhouse one day while I was there who walked as if he had taken more steps on soil than on concrete and I knew that I had found a friend, someone that would understand some of the challenges that I was faced with. Many of you that are dealing with institutional environments in agriculture are faced with some really uh, serious challenges. And I was in a situation where I was facing these challenges and I didn't really have anybody but folks that were of an academic mindset to try to Uh, counsel with to try to find out solutions to these problems. It was a very lonely feeling at that time. And this man was Bob Jorgensen, who happened to be on the board of the institution where I was working. And he introduced himself to me and he said, hello, Bob, good to meet you. And we started discussing some of the challenges for the role of agriculture within Seventh-day Adventism. A few years later, this was in 2001, a few years later in 2004, he started holding a series of meetings called True Education Meetings. And the first one that I attended was in 2004 in North Carolina at his home church. And at that time, again, in his thorough understanding of the history and the purpose of Seventh-day Adventist education, agriculture played a a role in those meetings. We we discussed it. We talked about it. And it wasn't long after that that he and I talked a number of times about organizing some sort of agricultural conference, some sort of of way to, to network with people that were involved in agriculture. We knew of a few individuals here and there that were scattered around the country, all of them struggling with either institutional roles in, in agriculture or uh, you know, folks like the, the Dysinger family that have been so important in helping to organize this organization. Everybody was kind of doing their things on their own. They were, they were being challenged in various different ways and there was no real support, no aggregation of all of the resources that we have. And Bob, decided that maybe along with his true education classes, we should also consider adding an agriculture element to those meetings. And in 2009, my wife and I had just settled on to to our farm, and we decided to hold the true education meetings at our place and to hold meetings with an agriculture component too for the first time in in perhaps many, many years. I don't know when the last meeting devoted to Seventh-day Adventist agriculture was held, but I know it wasn't within my uh, membership in the church. So we had about 150 people that came 
to our place for a few days. It was very rough around the edges. We had a rough gymnasium building where we had old seats that were left behind. The, the, the facility that we have is, is basically an old elementary school that had been abandoned for about 10 years. We had porta parties out, porta potties out in the back because we didn't know whether the plumbing would work or not, but people came and people were blessed. And the following year, we held another meeting. I believe that year we had some of the folks that are sitting in this room come and attend. And at that point, we had outgrown our facility, and it was obvious that there was an interest, that something was taking root here that had significance and was touching the hearts of people. Bob moved the meetings to Uchi Pines, held them there for a couple of years, and at that point, the Adagra concept and the Adagra organization took root. And at this fourth meeting, I'm just warmed deeply, and my heart is swollen in my chest right now as I look out here and see what is taking place. I feel so blessed by the effort that so many people have put in to making this happen, and the effort that those of you that are attending here have expended in order to be here. It's obvious that something is going on, that there is a movement taking place, and that the role of agriculture, once again, is prominent in people's hearts and minds. One of the things that motivated us in recognizing that we needed to do something to enhance the awareness of agriculture and Seventh-day Adventism was a statement that I read when I read Ministry of Healing. Two books were very, very instrumental in my conversion and and opening my heart to the Lord. One of them was The Great Controversy and the other was Ministry of Healing. I often turn there for gems of wisdom that she gave us. And one of the gems that is here is on page 183, where she wrote that in God's plan for Israel, every family had a home on the land with sufficient ground for tilling. Thus were provided the means and incentive for a useful, industrious, and self-supporting life. And no devising of men has ever improved upon that plan. To the world's departure from it is owing to large degree the poverty and wretchedness that exists today. That's a pretty potent statement, folks. I don't know how that could have escaped the minds of people that were were, were studying ministry of healing or what appeared to me to have escaped their minds and allowed the role of agriculture to be so diminished within our denomination over time that when I came into the church, there wasn't really much of anything happening. I am still troubled by issues that I see, as, uh, you know, as I was introduced, it was expressed that, you know, I, I, I kind of studied the book of nature before I came to study the Bible. And it's still my, my, my firm conviction that it requires study of both to be well balanced and to fully understand uh, our purpose and our calling in this Christian life. And in my study of nature, 
I came to comprehend that there are lessons there that can be found that you cannot find in the Bible alone. There are allusions to those lessons in the Bible, but unless we have that practical experience, unless we have that practical dependence on the Lord, those are very, very difficult things to teach and to learn in an academic setting. And I was frankly quite surprised that when I came to fully understand the role of agriculture in Adventist education, that it had been so marginalized, so suppressed. I understand practical reasons why that happened. It was expensive. Some of you that are working in institutional agriculture today are still facing those challenges. It's very difficult to train people and generate profit at the same time. Training costs money. And with the globalization of agriculture and the green revolution and the monoculture scale of agriculture becoming so large, it simply became impractical financially for many of our institutions to pursue it. And because food was so cheap because of that, there wasn't a lot of incentive to pursue it. So many of our institutions dropped their programs. Many of them dramatically scaled back their programs. And we stopped training farmers. We simply stopped training farmers. And to me, that's a tragedy. You know, when Ellen, Wright wrote, Ellen White wrote that statement, most of America was an agrarian society. And things were very, very different then. That doesn't excuse us for ignoring those issues now. But part of the difference that I think is just as important today, although we've strayed from it quite a ways, is that a person's life, particularly a farmer's life, was a testimony to his character, very unlike the lives we lead today. Oftentimes he built his own home, and it was the quality and the care and the attention that he put into the joints and the wood and the, and, and the framing and the structure and the, and the design and the intelligence of the home that spoke about that man's character. The clothes that he wore were often sewn by his wife. And similarly, the nature and the character of that clothing spoke to the character of the man. His livestock, how he treated his animals, how well he maintained his tools. And obviously, the grooming and care that was demonstrated in his fields were all aspects that shone like a bright light to his neighbors that there was something unique and special about that family. Today, we all live in clothes that come from Walmart. The homes that we inhabit very frequently were manufactured off-site and then moved to the site on a set of wheels or could be found in row after row after row of duplicate types of houses in a subdivision someplace. We all drive the same kinds of cars. We all consume the same materials. We live a life very, very different in character from the agrarian life that she outlined. As part of this consequence 
of the diminishing of the role of agriculture in Seventh-day Adventism, we also lost the connection of agriculture to the health message. Tragic loss. I've often pondered as I've conversed with some of our health ministers that don't have a background in agriculture, don't have an education about how products are grown, that they're so ignorant that they don't recognize that even though if we're making the right selections and choices of foods at the grocery store, even though they might be organic, they don't have the healthful effect or the nutritional energy in them that we assume they do. We're working with very old information because we don't recognize that modern agriculture has diminished and distorted and corrupted virtually everything that's available to us. And the only solution to that is by taking more responsibility ourselves and doing something about it, planting that seed. We had a very rich heritage in the examples of Madison College and Avondale, Emmanuel Missionary College, and much of that heritage was lost to the economics of the Green Revolution. And we're still paying a price for that today. Why aren't we closer to home, folks? Why aren't we closer to home? We've had the core messages. We've had the core understanding of the light. We've had the, 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 the understanding of righteousness by faith. We've had everything presented to us necessary for the second coming of our, our Savior and our Lord. Why isn't he here? Why is it that we're not, as, we're not more successful in the work that we're doing, in our evangelistic outreach, in our health work? Why is it that we're not getting the results commensurate with the investment that's being made? Why is it that so many of us are falling ill and struggling in this very competitive world today? Is it because we lost sight of that statement from Ministry of Healing? You know, it's my firm conviction that all of us all of us should be engaged in some form of agriculture. I'm not saying that we all need to be full-time farmers. If we had followed counsel and made ag agriculture the ABNC of education a hundred years ago, we would be very efficient at what we do now. We would have the best balanced soils. We would have understandings of soil microbiology and, 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 and soil mineral amendments far exceeding those of the land-grant university system. We would have health-giving foods. We would have our own varieties of foods. We would have a very, very different order of things than what we have today. But as a consequence of that overlooking, we're now looking to the world for much of our information. I'm sad to say that I was educated by the industry. I learned a lot about efficiencies. I was exposed to a lot in terms of opportunities for seeing what works and what doesn't work. But I was educated by the industry. And yet I'm looked at 
for answers and solutions to problems that we have today because of that education. And I am just now cutting my teeth and starting to understand that there is a totally different paradigm by which we must function. There is a totally different priority that we need to establish when it comes to agriculture in our lives. The challenges of the American food supply today are enormous. We've enumerated those through many of the, many of the conferences over time. And for those of you that want to look into that a little more deeply, uh, you know, those, those recordings are out there and available. I don't want to enumerate them now, but they're there and they're real and they're becoming more and more serious every day. And it's time for us to finally look back to that statement and understand that we all need to participate in agriculture. We all need to take responsibility for what we're feeding ourselves and providing to our communities and using as a method of the entering wedge as part of the health message. Doesn't mean we all have to be full-time farmers. If we're efficient and we're effective, we can do that in a relatively small amount of time. We're all called to do other things too. We have medical missionary work, we have literature work, we have evangelistic work to do. I'm not saying that we ignore those and all become farmers, but we must get past this point where we have been saturated by the world's concept of consumerism because in large part, that's what you and I are today, for the most part. Our consumers, we're very well trained at that. Because we're well trained at that, it even complicates things for those of us that are working with agriculture because it's all about price. We have to produce our crops inexpensively. We have to sell our, price, our, our, our crops competitively. A lot of what we look at through that economic lens is really distorted when we look at the fundamental purpose of what we're doing, and that is nourishing human beings. But yet today, we're so well-educated as consumers, and I'm speaking across the board here, not just, not just those in the world, but us. Seventh-day Adventists, we're consumers. We're trained consumers. And that has given us a handicap to some degree in comprehending how best to go about making something better in our fields and on our farms. Part of that consumerism emphasizes that we need to be profitable. We've got to keep our costs down. We've got to keep our yields up. The standards that we use for measuring what we sell are the same as the standards of the world. So if we need pounds of product to sell to, to meet our budgets, that's what we're after. We're not doing much of a, a better job at all of producing food that is more nutritious. We haven't undertaken some of the aspects of agriculture that are necessary for us to have true success in growing high-quality, nutrient-dense, fully nourishing food. That's going to take generations. Some of you that are young people out there have a tremendous challenge ahead of you, tremendous opportunity ahead of you. And we're not alone in doing this because the world is catching up to us in that sense with the awareness that the American food system is broken, 
that the foods that we're eating today are not nutritious. And there's an immense amount of energy and effort being put into this process too from other resources, non-government organizations, benefit foundations. The USDA itself is investing tremendously in small-scale agriculture, but we've got to consider the unique position that the Lord has placed us in, and we have to consider our unique role and our unique methods that must be yet developed, our unique understandings that must be yet developed. And these opportunities provide us with a great horizon of possibilities in terms of research. And as my heart is full tonight in looking at what has taken place here in the course of just the last few years with this interest in agriculture, my challenge is for the next step to be taken, that we all roll up our sleeves, that we all begin the process of activity necessary for us to achieve the goals that we really want to achieve. I don't want to come to you anymore to quote what the United States Department of Agriculture or the local extension service recommends for doing uh, when you deal with late blight on your apple trees. I want to have some solutions. I want to have some varieties of apples that don't just have resistance, but have fabulous resistance, immunity, that taste good, and that are nutritious, far above anything else. This is what we're called to, folks. This is the uniqueness of our spiritual Israel today. This is the example, the opportunity, for example, that we have today, and we can't meet this, we can't meet this challenge by following the ways of the world. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if we continue the consumer habits that we've developed over time. It's not going to happen until we humbly and prayerfully approach our gardens on our knees and make that a source of fundamental attention as if it were life and death because it is. It is. It's life and death in the sense that we need to nourish these bodies or we're going to be as sick as everybody else. There's no question about that. We need to get it on our knees and do it, especially if we're working in medical missionary work, because you don't know how to do the work unless you know how to start with the soil. That's where it begins. It's critically important that we take up this challenge and at least begin to participate in the opportunity to learn these lessons. And the Holy Spirit will be our assistant, will be our guide. The Lord himself will help show us how to do this. Some of you may have read about the vision Ellen White had at Avondale of a furrow of soil opening up before her where Jesus himself explained to her the properties of the soil. If we prayerfully and humbly approach 
our gardens with an awareness that psh, we don't know anything. He'll show us. And saying this, I want to encourage those of you that don't have knowledge yet or are on the track of really trying to seek what the world has to offer as knowledge. If you do that without prayerfully considering things, you're in danger. The winds of doctrine that are blowing through agriculture right now are violent winds. They're every bit as violent as the winds of doctrine that are blowing through the church. And there is as much error, if not more, out there than there is truth. When you start picking up gardening magazines and you start just haphazardly acquiring information, it takes discernment. And where does that discernment come from? It comes from above. The Lord will instruct you and guide you. And my prayer for us and for this organization as we move forward with all of the good things that are going on is that we don't settle for good. That we move forward to the best. Because so often in our consumer society, in our relative comparison of things in our lives, good becomes the enemy of the best because we are too easily satisfied. For those of you that are fascinated by some of the information that you hear here, I encourage you to prove all things. Use biblical principles when it comes to comprehending what it is that you should do. And I ask all of you to pray for this organization. To pray for those that are making a renewed commitment to understanding more about agriculture because we need those prayers. I'm standing in front of you today with over 50 years of, of, of agricultural expertise. And what I can tell you is that I am astonished at what I don't know. I am absolutely stunned by what I don't know. I know how to get a given result by following certain protocols, but I don't know how to grow things the way the Lord really would like to have us grow things. That's the challenge that we have. And that's the challenge that you have. And it's only through him and by seeking the Holy Spirit and coming together and supporting each other and edifying each other in that process that we will have a chance at a greater result. Wherever you can, whatever opportunity you have to advocate for agriculture, do it. Whether it's in your home congregations with your brothers and sisters discussing a church garden, whether it's participating in a community garden, whether it's just opening up your, your personal garden at home to friends and neighbors, wherever you have a chance to promote it, do it. Wherever you have an opportunity to advocate for prayer, for this process, for this concept, do it. I don't understand why we're still here. I've heard lots of, of discussion about because our hearts aren't prepared properly and there is very much truth in, in many of those things too. But I do know this. 
I do know that we have not all staked our claim to our piece of land and tilled the soil and followed the economy that was given to us as the best economy. We have not done that. And as part of our resistance to do that impacted the rest of the work that's delaying us from going home. We can pray about that and see what the Lord tells us. But what I do know is we haven't done what we've been asked to do. That's obvious to me. And brothers and sisters, I want to go home. I want to go home. It's not going to get any easier for us. It's not going to get any prettier in this world. And if we can do our part by participating with that book of nature, with our hand in the Lord's and his guidance through his Holy Spirit about what we're doing in concert in the garden, that's where I derive my strength. That's where I, that's where I find what, what peace and joy I have. He's always there to strengthen us, to comfort us, and to instruct us. And the burden is, our, uh, the burden is ours to seize that opportunity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so blessed to have your word. We are so blessed to have had the examples written the instructions, the insights, the inspiration of Ellen White, not just in her words, but also in her deeds, not just in aspects of doctrine and science and helping us to understand your word, but in the practical, physical things of daily life. She asked us, to live lives of simplicity and purity. She showed us that a piece of land, a family, a place, a commitment was necessary for us to have the best economy of life. Help us, Father, to do our part to find your way of meeting these needs in our lives so that we can bring about the second coming of Jesus Christ, so that we can fulfill the promise that you've given to us and be a blessing to our neighbors and to provide healing to our communities. Abide with us, Father. Bless us as we toil in this endeavor. Give us courage, give us strength, give us persistence to follow your call to us, I ask. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.